One of the oldest joint diseases known to man is gout. Although it's been around a long time, it's still easily misdiagnosed, even with all the advances in medicine. So, Dr. Rajapans, why is it still so difficult to diagnose, and how is it diagnosed? I mean, it's basically a clinical diagnosis, you know, because uh, a classical sort of a swollen tender joint, normally the big toe is the one that causes uh, mm. it's the main one that gets affected. So, uh, it's... If you know, clinically easy to diagnose, but sometimes if it gets other joints, then it can be a bit misleading. Is it always automatically, if you see someone who's overweight and then they have issues with joints, it's automatically gout? Not necessary, because the other thing you think of is whether pseudo-gout. Okay, so um, what is the difference between gout and pseudo-gout? Now, the thing is, uh, basically the, the crystal that uh, crystallizes. So in uh, gout is basically what we call uric acid uh, crystals, mm. whereas in uh, pseudogout is what we call calcium pyrophosphate. All right, so, so different crystals. So does that mean that it uh, you treat them differently? Yeah. So the t- that's why it's very important that we diagnose which are the crystals that are causing the problem, and then we treat accordingly. So you, in uric acid, you use different medication. Calcium, you use different type of medication. So what would happen if you were using the calcium medication for the other one? Like you were treating gout with pseudo-gout ther- therapy. What would happen? So, like in gout, we've got medication to reduce the uric acid. But in calcium, we actually don't use medication. It's basically you just have to treat the pain and the swelling. I see. So do, uh, they, so flare up the, the, do they flare up the same way? Yeah, exactly the same. They can mimic, especially if you look at the big joints, the knees, or if you look at the, you know, your elbows and all that. Uh, so they can actually flare up exactly the same like gout. So which one of those, the gout or the pseudogout, um, is the one that perhaps flares up more aggressively than the other, or are they both the same? Normally, it's, it's, uh, if you look at gout, uh, pseudogout normally occurs in older people. Okay. So, you know, normally if you're older, they are more risk of pseudogout. Whereas uh, gout can occur in young people. So a lot of my patients who actually got gout are young people with high uric acid, poor diet control, and they suddenly get, you know, get attacks of gout. So, Doc, talking and, you know, about um, gout, like what happens in a flare-up? Oh, so, basically what happens is you get uh, acute inflammation, pain of a joint, the commonest one is the big toe, but it can occur in the ankle, can be the knees, can be even in the hands. So there can be severe inflammation, swelling, and then, uh, you know, even some people even have fever. Right, because of the inflammation in the body. Yeah, yeah. Got it. So the question now is, if someone gets gout and then they're on medication, it's controlled only or does can someone actually be cured completely of gout? No, you can control it. But a lot of times if we advise people to take the right sort of diet, you know, get the right uh, exercise, reduce the uric acid foods. A lot of people can control it with just that. All right. Is this something um, hereditary or is it something you develop? Like you talk about uric acid, for example, as the crystals. Like what causes your uric acid to go out of whack or is it something that's just genetic? There is definitely all of us, like, you know, your hypertension, diabetes, high cholesterol. These are all genetically you are prone, but lifestyle triggers, you know, the, so what they call it, 
Without the genes alone, the gun lifestyle pulls the trigger. Mm-hmm. So we already genetically are prone. So if you take high uric acid foods, you're going to you know, trigger off the gout. So eat properly because with gout, there is no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> so eating less uric acid, high foods uh, or purine foods, we call it. Drinking a lot of water and uh, getting some exercise will help. Okay, I just want to do one pickup, Doc, about how you actually um, diagnose the difference between gout and pseudogout. Uh, basically, what they do is uh, the best way is you just uh, explain a bit of the joint and then they can send that for analysis and see whether it's uric acid crystals or is it calcium crystals. Wait, sorry, that means you have to cut open someone? No, you just take a, a small uh, aspirate, maybe the needle. I see. Where the inflammation joint swelling is, you just take up some of that and you can send it for analysis. Dr. Rajbans, parasitic worms like hookworms were once a problem, especially when drinking unclean water. But according to this new study, they're saying that they could be a weapon to fight against conditions like dementia, heart disease and arthritis. So I guess, first of all, what are hookworms and how did they affect the body? I mean, basically, they are just parasites, you know. And normally, it uh, occurs in unhygienic conditions where, you know, you find people with uh, those days in Malaysia, you know, some of the Orang Asli and East Coast, you get a lot of these uh, hookworm infestation and normally suggested things that malnutrition. Mm. But uh, nowadays, we, you know, we good care everything. We seldom get hookworm infestation. But I think the study was done in India. So where they probably still have a lot of hookworm problems. And what they said was basically to reduce the inflammation in the body, so reducing the risk of dementia, hearts, and all those things. But they also have done studies in India to say that whether it's a diet, you know, taking a lot of turmeric and all that actually helps the inflammation. So you don't know whether it's actually the hookworm that's causing the, uh, the good thing here or it's whether it's the diet, we're not sure, because they didn't tell us in the study exactly right. what, what was happening here. So, but, you know, hookworms, you're saying, um, you know, they're around, people can have them, but um, do they, you know, give you the runs? Do they upset your digestive tract? Like, what is having them? Yeah, yeah if, uh, if uh, you know, if a huge uh, infestation, which we have seen, we used to see when I was working in the Sarawak, I could see children coming with huge amounts of uh, hookworm infestation where they get malnourished, they get diarrhea, they actually have a problem with their hemoglobins and all that. But if you just got a small infection, uh, nothing might be there, might be no symptoms. Mm-hmm. Or some of them come with just, con- you know, uh, lethargy and tiredness and you find that the, the hemoglobin is a bit low because they do lose, these hookworms do take some of the, you know, uh, your nutrition. So that could be some of the symptoms you get. So from your professional opinion, Dr. Rajban, when you hear of a study like this, hookworms, and you know about the dangers of hookworms, and they're saying it can help fight heart disease and whatnot. What are your first thoughts when you think of that? I, I, think, I think there should be uh, other things that they should look at, like, not look at hookworm first, you know. Because you're talking of a parasite that is also can cause problems in your body. So you're not going to use hookworms to treat something like that. I've been 100% sure that it works. Like. Yeah. But when I first saw this article, I was hooked. Uh. <laughs> One of the biggest fears we're facing is the panic of possibly having COVID-19 when we get a cold or, or have flu-like symptoms. And flu is often used, the term of it is often used when you have a common cold. And yet, you know, th- having the flu is a serious illness that can cause fatalities, much like COVID. So, Doc, whilst the symptoms are slightly different, is it actually possible to get both at the same time? 
Uh, yeah, I suppose you can get two viruses. Uh, common cold is normally something very simple, uh, very mild. Called uh, you know, uh, viruses are different from the flu virus and COVID virus. You just get a simple running nose, a bit of cough, um, maybe mild fever, nothing. But influenza can be very serious. Influenza in fact kills a lot of people. Uh, you know, all over the world when they get the influenza pandemics. Uh, so. Uh, you know, they can high fevers. You also can get pneumonia, exactly like the COVID. So, uh, and you, if you get both infections, it can be even more serious actually. So right now, I think uh, they are worried that the flu itself might be a problem, especially in the winter countries. You know, mm. right now where those having winters. So that's why we always advocate that all uh, elderly people do get a flu jab at least, so you can reduce the incidence or even the severity of the disease. So with now with the COVID there and with the COVID vaccine, so I suppose you have to take both those vaccines together now. Um, is the co- is the influenza vaccine similar to the COVID vaccine in, in terms of how it works? Uh, I mean, the influenza uh, basically are the old type of uh, concepts of vaccines. You know, I mean, in, uh, right now the COVID, if you look at the uh, the one from China, India. These are the old ways where they use the uh, attenuated virus, you know, as a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, influenza vi- uh, vaccines are different from the the new RNA type that are, you know, that now has Pfizer, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and all have the new RNA virus. This is something different. Uh, but the influenza vaccine is the old technology. Uh, right now, I think uh, India and China vaccines are the old technology. Okay. So, for people who are a little bit more vulnerable, you're suggesting perhaps getting both vaccinations but can they be done at the same time or would you say you know okay get your flu jab first and then what wait a week before Uh, you get your other one yeah i I think right now we're not sure because the covid vaccine is so new Mm -hmm. uh, so i wouldn't take it together uh, because we don't know how they're going to react so i would take it maybe at different times Uh, so don't take them together right now uh, hopefully in the future, the COVID vaccine will be part of the flu vaccine. Mm. That means every year people who take the vaccine will have everything in one. They don't have to take two different vaccines. Right. But, uh, but right now I will take maybe take them separately, don't take together. Right. So, Dr. another question about the flu. Obviously, the flu and COVID are not treated the same? Uh, basically, the COVID is a much more serious illness now because it's a new virus, you know, it's a novel virus. Mm. So you can get severe disease. Uh, the treatment-wise is, uh, you know, right now at COVID, I think they're trying a lot of new things. Uh, they give you steroids, they give you antivirals. Um, but uh, in the flu, basically what happens in flu vac- uh, uh, influenza is that the virus is not the problem. They get secondary bacterial infection. Mm. So, But if severe disease is almost the same. Like they will try antivirals, steroids, and also antibiotics. The same thing we're doing for COVID now. Okay, so basically, it's it's it's. does it matter to make sure you differentiate whether you have the flu or COVID or... Oh, yes, you have to differentiate because uh, it's still good to know because, uh, you know, COVID, you know, the illness can be more serious because it's a new novel virus. And of, when you do the test, they will check for all these. They'll generally check for influenza, they'll check for COVID. Okay. High blood pressure in men is called hypertension, but in women, it's often just labeled as either stress or menopause. Mm. Up to 50% of women get high blood pressure before the age of 60 that shows up uh, as hot flushes and palpitations. So, Doctor, can you walk us through the correlation between menopause and high blood pressure? And why do the two things have the same symptoms if they're different? I mean, the symptoms can be confused. Not that they are exactly two two different things going on. 
But menopause can have symptoms that cause, you know, uh, flushing and palpitation. High, somebody with high blood pressure also can have palpitations and flushing. Uh, both can have the same symptoms, but the pathology is so totally different. And, uh, you know, some menopause, when women go into menopause, one of the risk factors is having heart problem and hypertension, right? So menopause can aggravate your hypertension. And if you don't look out for it, sometimes, especially in women, people can just say, oh, you know, you're just having menopause symptoms, don't worry. Uh, you know, just take care of them. They end up seeing a, a gynae and if they just give them something for their menopause, uh, the whole hypertension problem could be missed and hypertension can be serious. Heart disease can be serious in, uh, in older women, you know, mm. especially menopause. So, very important that we must rule out blood pressure and a heart issue uh, with women who got symptoms that sound like this, you know, uh, palpitations, uh, uh, giddiness, uh, flushing, mm. if they got chest pains, you must make sure that you don't miss out hypertension and uh, uh, heart disease and don't assume it's just uh, menopause causing the symptoms. Yeah, Doc, I wanted to ask you, so, um, you know, menopause uh, causes the drop in estrogen, which is the sort of protector of our hearts, yeah. right? So yeah. menopause kind of initiates the sort of the downward spiral towards sort of heart problems in a way in a woman because our heart protection has right. gone, right? Yes. So right. does the, the, the menopause itself trigger the hypertension or is that separate? I think it can uh, aggravate the situation because mm-hmm. like, you know, the protective effect of estrogen. Mm. Also women, when they start going to menopause with all the symptoms, you know, sometimes they... Uh, tired changes, they don't exercise and all that, mm. and that, that can aggravate the whole situation. Right. And now they don't have the protective effect of estrogen, hypertension can aggravate heart disease, you know. Right. Uh, so it, they, it's not that uh, menopause causes hypertension, but it aggravates the whole situation. Got it. So how does one, like, okay, I'm a woman, I am having uh, hot flushes and palpitations. I go to my doctor, and my doctor goes, oh dear, it's just stress and menopause. How... What do I say or ask for in terms of sort of tests or for them to check in order to make sure it's just menopause and I'm not having a problem with my heart? It's very very simple. In fact, I think all people, uh, you know, after a certain age, should have their own blood pressure monitor Mm -hmm. and things like, you know. So when you go and see your GP or doctor, just make sure they check your blood pressure, check your sugar and uh, make sure they don't have a symptom to suggest heart disease, you know. Uh, but simple thing, just checking your blood pressure and if that's normal, then you know it's nothing to do with hypertension, it's mm. just your menopause. How often should you check your blood pressure? I mean, like, you know, sometimes, you know, your blood pressure can go up, sometimes it's sort of normalized. How do you know? Sometimes uh, hypertension will always be high, you know. Ah, so, okay. So when you do a blood pressure check, I always mm-hmm. check three times in a row and see the best of the three. And I normally like to check out, you know, if, like mine is still normal, so I just check maybe two weeks once or monthly. Mm-hmm. But if you have blood pressure, I would even, uh, you know, uh, check, uh, if possible, even every day just to keep an eye on your pressure if you're on medication. A discovery was made from work on inflammatory bowel disease, which often causes patients to carry larger than normal populations of fungi, 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 fungi in their gut. Found that patients developed strong antibody responses against a wide range of fungal species. Doctor, can you tell us more about the relationship between fungi and our gut? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because uh, all the time we talk about is the bacteria in the gut. You know, the good bacteria. We talk mm. about probiotics. And uh, now, of course, they're looking at things like fungi. And uh, 
when I suppose it's the same sort of symbiotic relationship that the bacteria have with our body, I suppose there are also good fungi in our body that helps to, you know, improve the immunity in the gut, help to help in absorption in the gut, prevent uh, leaky gut syndrome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I think this is still very new, very interesting. More research we need to do. A lot of research going on in the good bacteria and probiotics. Mm-hmm. So fungi is something new that we are looking at, and uh, I think there'll be something interesting. But I think it's going to be the same thing that we look at with good bacteria. Uh, so there'll be things like good fungi versus bad fungi, uh, good fungi that protects the gut, versus bad fungi that you know causes damage. Mm. So it's going to be the same thing that we're going to look at. So in the future, you'll have probiotics, like probiotics, you'll have pro fungi or something that we take. <laughs> I'm always a pro fungi, but just to be clear, we're not talking about mushrooms right now. Um, Doc, can you just uh, give a sort of a quick explanation about the difference between sort of bacteria and fungi that live in our gut? Yeah, I mean, bacteria, you know, also, if you hear things like lactobacillus and all these pyrochrysis this thing, uh, so these are the bacteria, the streptococcus, you know, these are bacteria. As fungi are your algae, the things that we hear about, uh, uh, they are exactly a different species. You know, that uh, bacteria are different, fungi are completely different. Okay. Uh, we know it as fungus. Uh, so I can't offend you, can't remember the names because there's so many That's of them. That's okay, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. how does... What is the possibility or how does this fungi teach our immune system who to fight or how to fight? Yeah, I suppose it's just like our good bacteria. The good bacteria sort of improves the immunity mm-hmm. uh, in the gut. Same thing probably this good fungi will also help to improve the immunity in the gut. Uh, uh, how they do it, I'm not really sure, but I think that's what that's how they function. Right. Can, can you have too much of good thing, like too much good bacteria and too much good fungi? Does that cause problems? I think normally no. I know people take a high doses of probiotics, nothing really happens. Okay. You know, so it should be no problems there. Yeah. All right. So give fungi a chance because a fun guy is a good guy. All right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs>